Well, good morning, my friend. How are you this morning? Doing great, bro. Over here. Actually going to be working from Fort Worth today. So they were sending me to uh, a little place that I really never heard of before. It's in Georgia, a little place called Hawassi, Georgia. Wow. Hawassi, so, I know what the Hawassi River is, but I'm not aware that there's Hawassi. Hawassi, there's got to be a story behind that name. Well, it's most likely a Native American name. I know I'm going to have to pass through the Ocoee, like next to the Ocoee River where they had the Olympics, um, for all the whitewater rafting to get there. And that goes right through the Cherokee National Forest. Interesting. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting history in Tennessee and Georgia. Yep. Those are some of the older states in in the nation. And so I'm sure they're rich in history. Well, all of our nation really has some rich history, just like every nation. Absolutely. Just most of the most of the time, people are not interested enough to read or listen to someone talk about the history and the culture of another nation. And that's kind of sad because there's so many lessons we can learn from each other and from other nations and their culture. Absolutely. So many, so many lessons we could learn. I remember one time when you and I were at Christ for the Nations, and I was a resident advisor, and one of the students was absolutely, and it was an American, he was absolutely irate with his roommate who was from Mexico. I mean, he was livid. And so I had to mediate the discussion between the two of them. Now, the gentleman that was from Mexico, he didn't speak a whole lot of English at this point. And I didn't speak a whole lot of Spanish. But I turned around, and I I started trying to figure out what is going on. And the American gentleman just continuously was ranting, and finally I had to tell him, say, brother, you're going to have to be quiet for a few minutes. We're not going to go anywhere. As long as you're ranting, you're making him feel intimidated, and he's clammed up. And he's not even going to respond correctly because you have gone absolutely crazy in the way you're acting. But he kind of calmed down a little bit, and I turned to the gentleman that was from Mexico, and I said, hey, so what happened? I said, you're not in trouble. Just tell me what happened. And he explained what happened. I said, well, okay, so why? Once again, you're not in trouble. Why did this happen? And he says, well, in Mexico, if you don't do that, you'll cause damage to someone else's property because of the way mm. it's constructed. Mm. And this is directly related to the bathroom. Because you and I both know the culture. You throw your toilet paper in the trash can, not the toilet. Oh, this is so true. So, yeah. you know, and so the American guy didn't understand. He, he just thought it was nasty, and he was going crazy over it. And the Mexican gentleman was like, hey, I'm just trying to keep them from, you know, completely clogging up the toilet. Yep. And... He explained to me in his broken English and this little bit of Spanish I understood. He basically told me, in Mexico, the plumbing is smaller. And if you throw paper down the drain, 
in your toilet, you will clog it up, and you're and you're going to have a massive problem. That's so true. And once he explained that, I turned to the American. I said, "So wouldn't it have been better if you would have asked him why instead of completely losing your cool and going off?" He said, "Yes." I said, "All right, let's let's apologize to one another." And they, but the American immediately apologized, and they became some of the best of friends. But see, what would have happened if they'd have dropped the differences and just began talking? Man, you just said a mouthful. And uh, I'm sure there's that was a micro issue, but we have in our country right now a mega problem, and a lot of that has to do with a lack of discussion, lack of understanding cultural differences, um, you know, and, and it goes throughout our nation. It's been like that since its inception, but we've been seeing a lot of problems that arise from just ignorance, ignorance of what That's another it. person's culture is like, you know, ignorance from why they do what they do. Uh, you know, that, that Native American saying, you don't know what a man goes through pretty much until you walk a mile in his moccasins. you got to walk a mile in someone else's shoes before you realize, oh, that's why they do what they do. That, that's why they react the way they react. You know, and we can use that, not just racial differences and cultural differences, but just understanding our spouse better. Why does she that's do it. what she does? You know, so I think that's, that's great. Well, you have a very, very interesting topic. Very interesting little tidbit right there. You said, our spouses, why does she do what she does? You know, one of the things that we forget is sometimes it's not a racial thing. Sometimes it's not a nationality thing. Sometimes it's a culture of that household. True. Every culture in each household is different from another because of the way that they're raised individually. So... We can't always categorize somebody in race or culture according to their nationality. Sometimes which almost kind of makes me think about prayer. And the reason it makes me think about prayer is many times we see prayer it's something to where we're pleading for something we want. Because yeah. that's what we've seen in our culture. Our culture has cultivated this idea that when we approach God in prayer, that we're begging Him and asking and interceding for something for me, my for, and no more, honey. But that's not what we were created to do when we pray. I mean, think about the prayer that Jesus crafted, not for himself, but really for his disciples to pray. My Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I mean, come on. I don't hear anything about me in that so far. Do you? It's interesting because first he recognizes God's sovereignty over everything. He recognizes his kingdom, his will, and that being done before he even gets down to, now give us our daily bread. And then it, then it goes to the Come personal on. need. But there's a certain protocol, and I, I love when you, um, one of the things that we've shared, you and I have shared in the past, and you really explain well, 
is the protocol of coming before a king, you know, in the times of Esther. And, and seeing yeah. there's a certain protocol before you come before a king. You don't just simply go into the court and say, hey, I need this, I need that, and that's, and that's it. And then and you walk out. No, there's a protocol uh, for it. You're, you're approaching royalty. And so the Bible even says, let's enter his courts. Let's enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. So before we even start off with that's a petition right. or any type of request, we're going in and we're recognizing who he is. We're, we're approaching the king. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to give him thanks. Thank him for the things that are going on in my life. Thank him for my family. Thank him for before I even get down to a petition. And once that atmosphere has been set with a, a atmosphere of praise and thanksgiving, then we can make our request known to God. Well, I'm going to try not to chase this rabbit too far down the trail. Um, just like you mentioned about Esther, think yeah. about it. Let's bring it to modern, modern vernacular. If you approach the king of king or queen of England, currently it's the queen of England, but when Queen Elizabeth goes on to be into the next life, hopefully she knows Christ, and her grandson takes over, it'll be the king of England. Yep. Whenever you approach whichever, would you just do it haphazardly? Or let's just say, it doesn't matter if you like the president. I'm going to say two different president names for our nation because there's people that hate both of them on both sides, Trump and Obama. Good point. I mean, they're probably two of the most disliked presidents we've ever had in this nation. So it doesn't matter which side of the fence you stand on, would you disrespectfully approach the leader of your nation? Let's just be honest. It doesn't matter which one. If you go up to him ranting and raving, you're probably going to be on your face with the Secret Service on top of you, possibly even with a gun to your head if you've gotten a little bit crazy. There you go. Because they are the leader of the nation. There's a certain protocol in the way that you approach them. There's a certain way you act in their presence, not because of some greatness or some aura around them, but because they are the leader. They are the one that's in charge. And in the same manner, go ahead. There's something that is powerful in what you just said. And I think that it's a great analogy that you use with Regardless of your, your political affiliation, it's still it's the office that you're respecting at that point. Also, I think it's Amen. very important to note, it's very important to note that we live in a democracy. And living in a democracy, we sometimes feel that we can, we can speak to a president or speak about an elected, elected official any way we want because we've essentially put them in office by voting for them. In the kingdom, it's different because that king, his authority comes directly from on high, right? It comes directly from God. In other words, there's a succession of their lineage, their blood is what gives them the authority. And I think that's important because a king is not elected. His, his power and his authority is just in him vested. So his word, is, there's, no, there's no, I need to go to Congress or I need to go here or there. When the king speaks, that's, right. that's what it is. And so the concept of a kingdom 
I think it's so powerful because there's he has subjects. We're subject to the king's will. We submit well, to the king's will. You hit will. it perfectly on the head. You hit it perfectly on the head because in reality, in our nation, we do not understand what it truly means to submit to a king. Think about it. In the day of Esther, when King Actuaris, and I may not have said his name properly, but whenever he was sitting on the throne, even back as far as Nebuchadnezzar, if you look at the history, they had guards that were all around the throne room. And those guards had a long blade that was on the end of a long pole, and they would hold them. If I remember right, it was kind of like a, almost a crescent-shaped blade. If you were to walk in that courtroom or that throne room without being accepted, they would chop you to pieces. And they wouldn't wait long to do it. The king better extend that scepter real quick. So think about it from that perspective. If you are approaching the king and you don't show proper respect, your life could be on the line because of the lack of humility on your part. If he does not accept you with that scepter that says, yes, he may approach me, your life is forfeit. Now, thank God we serve a God of grace, a God of mercy, and a God of peace. But in the same... Go ahead, brother. I was going to say, in the same way, though, it does not negate us from showing proper respect and protocol before our king. Absolutely. I was going to say, let, let's unpack this a little bit more. You know, you mentioned that okay. when you go into, there's, there's a certain level of respect, and, and that king, if you approach them haphazardly or sideways, they're going to chop you to pieces. So if you look in the Old Testament, yeah, a lot of times we're in the New Testament now, we're under grace. And so I think that because of that, we sometimes, we think that God has softened up in a way. But the truth is, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? And so if you look in the Old Testament, when they, when the priest would go into, he has to go into the Holy of Holies one time a year, you know, there's tradition, tradition says that they would tie a string or a rope around his ankle. Because he had to make atonement not for only the people's sins, but for his own sins. And if he went in there unprepared, he didn't prepare himself correctly, whatever, they said that when he'd go into that place, he would drop dead in the presence of God. And they'd have to pull that rope to pull his body out. Because he didn't approach the king just in any way. There's a certain protocol. Now, in Christ, thank God for Christ, those of us who are believers... That's it. We can go, the Bible says, approach the throne boldly. It doesn't mean we do it with a lack of respect, but we approach with the confidence knowing that it's not our own righteousness we're approaching this throne in. It's the righteousness of Christ himself. But we approach it boldly, but we also we have to go there with the thanksgiving. We have to go there recognizing who we serve. It's by grace that we're entering into his presence. And we thank God for making that way, opening up that door for us. That's exactly right. I mean, I guess you could even take it back, and I know I've used this analogy before, but like a parent and its child. 
if your child comes to you demanding something, you don't, you're really not that moved to give him what he wants or she wants. But if they come and give you the cute eyes and they look precious and they give you those, you know, soft, gentle, daddy, don't you love me? And they hug on you and they love on you and they lavish affection on you. All of a sudden, your heart is melted and you're moved. How much greater, how much greater our team? That's good. That's good. You know, in this uh, marriage relationship that we have, if your wife wants to ask you something, there's a certain way that she can ask you to know that she can push those buttons that get you to, to be a little bit more open to our, her idea. If you understand what I'm saying? Oh yeah, and, and we're, exactly right. We're, yeah, we're, we are the bride of Christ, and we have favor. We can we can come into His presence. But again, it's not like you said. We're not demanding anything, and we can declare things boldly. But again, it's it's always recognizing in that, that that spirit of humility, recognizing who we serve, and it is the God of the universe. I mean, he this is the God that has angels praise on a regular basis, choirs of angels that praise him throughout eternity. You know, I'm reminded of in in the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah said when he saw the Lord in the year King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord seated on his throne, high and lifted up. Build the temple, and it, it describes the angels, the cherubim, I believe, are, that it says they have six wings. And these cherubim, you imagine the, the power of these angels, beautiful and powerful angels. They have six wings. And the Bible says, with two, they covered their their eyes. With two, they covered their, I believe, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying around the throne of God. And it's as if they don't even dare to look at God himself. They're covering their eyes up. And the whole time, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And you, when we think about it, we have, there's angels. He has choirs of angels. And here we are with our squeaky little voices giving him praise. And he delights in that. He delights That's in that. And it's just a beautiful picture. We... Although this God is, is the one who made the universe and it seems like he's unattainable and unreachable, when we're in Christ and, and we've accepted that, we have access to that throne, the very throne room of God himself. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. The other thing I, I love to mention real quick is there's something, there's something precious, I believe, in God's eyes when we worship and we come to him in prayer because the angels, they don't have any problems. They're, they're in his presence at all times, and it's a problem-free existence they have. But we're, we here on earth, we go through trials. We go through tribulations. We have our ups and downs. We have temptation. We have our struggles. But the Bible says that we offer him the sacrifice of praise. And, and it, sometimes it's That's a sacrifice. Him. And we have to do it in, in the face of what we're going through. And I believe that's what goes up to God's that sweet-smelling offering. And we pray. We, we, we push through. Reminded of you know Christ in the garden to get enemy, get get enemy. Yeah, I'm I'm butchering that word. Get get semini. 
And he, he prevailed in prayer. He, he continued in prayer. He pushed through. And a lot of times that's what it, that's what it takes, that God is looking for. It's not that he's, he's holding something back from us, but he wants to see that persistence of prayer, that we, we go after him. Oh, yeah. Well, I love what Bill Johnson says in regards to what you just addressed. That You know, he, he talks about how we do give a sweet aroma in our praise. However, he talks about he believes that only when we're going through tribulations, trials, heartache, and pain does it give a special aroma because it's birthed through a time of sacrifice or you are truly laying it down before him because you are going through a time of trial and tribulation and still praising through that. And because of that, it has like a special aroma. That thought, you're yeah. right, it's from um, Bill Johnson. He, he's a phenomenal Bible teacher, and that thought that I had, that, that's actually from him. And um, but you're right, it, it's, it costs us something. You know, I love, does. you see the, the woman that that came, it was uh, Mary Magdalene, and she, she breaks that alabaster box and, and pours that precious perfume that would have cost, it's a whole year's salary, and pours it on Jesus, and she wipes his feet with her hair, and they say, shouldn't this have been given to the poor? He said, you have to pour with you all the time. Well, this right here, what she's done, it's going to be mentioned in, in all the Gospels, and every time this, this message is shared, it's going to be mentioned. This woman is doing something, prepare me for my burial. And, and it's just a beautiful picture of, we're going to bring something that's costly. It's going to cost us something. There's going to be times where we wake up and we have to pray, and we know we, it's, it's not pleasant. Early in the morning, I could be sleeping right now, but it's a sacrifice. And I believe God honors that, that when we make a sacrifice, we take the time, and he says, I'm going to meet you. You've, you've made a sacrifice, you've come, I'm going to meet you in that. And he's going to honor that time. So well, I think I, we, I encourage we, yeah. If we look at what you're talking about right there, about it costs you something. If we go even over to like, tithes and offerings, and I'm not going to turn this into a discussion about tithes and whether we should or not, or none of that. But if you just take the basic principle of tithe, it is something that's founded through the Word of God, number one. And number two, if you really look at the root, God wants to see that you and I are serious about Him. If you think about it, what does our money represent? It represents our life. It represents our blood. Because we have labored, and we have sweated, and we have had tears and heartache and pain, and sometimes we physically hurt ourselves in the process of laboring to acquire wealth. And so when we give a percentage of that, we are literally taking a portion of our life and physically handing it to God. So we're actually saying, God, I am, I am making a physical gesture that shows how much I love you. If you take that thought, that puts a whole different meaning on why you're giving. It's not because it's a religious act. It's not because the pastor says so. It's all about because I love God. I love Christ. And I want him to know where my heart truly lies. 
So it's all about the heart. It's all about that sacrifice to show the heart. I mean, think about it. When you and I were trying to woo our wives, we would try to move heaven and earth to make sure they knew that we were interested, wouldn't we? I mean, I know I did. I mean, if I had to go buy a huge bouquet of flowers for my wife, buddy, you better believe it. I did it. Because I wanted to make sure she knew that this widow really liked her. (laughs) There you go. You know what I'm saying? So I wanted her to know that I really liked her. And praise God it worked. I got her attention. But in the same way, we should be pursuing God. Now, how does this relate to prayer? See, if we don't pursue God and come to him in proper alignment, we cannot position ourselves. It's not that he can't hear. It's that we can't position ourselves in a posture to be heard. Think about it. If you're trying to communicate with your wife and you have a really long hallway and you're trying to say, honey, can you bring me the broom? I made a mess. Can you bring me the broom? And she's like, what? What would you say? I mean, does that work really well? Not at all. Or, honey, I love you. What would you say? I mean, you need to be in a certain proximity to be properly heard. Or let's just say, hey, honey, I left the I left the fireplace on. I really need you to cut it off. Let's talk about something that can be life-changing. You know, an, an, a gas fireplace that doesn't turn itself off during the day when it reaches, reaches a certain temperature. Well, if you're not within proper proximity and you're trying to communicate that important thing to where you need her to cut that off for you, guess what? You could have just lost your house. Wow. Because of wow. the lack of proper positioning. You know, we can't assume that we are heard just because we yelled a little bit louder. Instead, we need brother, to bring ourselves near. Brother, that's good, man. That's so good. Yeah. There's something I want to add to that. When you that's- mentioned proximity, you mentioned proximity because we live in a finite world, it's a three-dimensional world, we think closeness in terms of physical proximity. But in the spirit, there's there's no there's not there's not distance in prayer. There's no there's no distance in prayer, right? And so, really, what it is, and I think this is something that you've mentioned before in the past, and it's really stuck with me. But a lot of times, it's not that God isn't speaking all the time. I believe that the Holy Spirit is in constant communication with us. He's constantly speaking, but because we there's so much noise around us and we have so many other things going on, it tends to drown out that still small voice that he's constantly speaking. And in prayer, and that proximity is really quieting the outside voices, getting alone where we're able to tune in and actually listen to his voice. Oh, man, that's so good. And, you know, we can, we can tune in like we would do an AM radio. You're not going to find an FM station on an AM dial. And we're not gonna we're not gonna find the voice of God a lot of times in the media or in and you know outside voices or TV. You're not gonna hear the voice of God a lot of times like that. It has to be 
where we get alone and we focus and he says, now you can hear what I'm saying. That's right. And I remember when I first moved back to Tennessee from Dallas, Texas. Shortly after moving back, I heard a whisper that said, remove the distractions. And I'm thinking, what in the world? So I start looking for distractions and start removing them. And I found that the more I removed, and distractions, I mean, I could sit here and tell you what I removed, but it's really irrelevant because distractions for me may not be the same thing as for somebody else. That's good. That's good. So there's not a real problem for me to list what I removed at this point because I don't want whoever's listening to think, well, if I remove X, Y, or Z, I'm going to be good. No, you may need to remove A, B, and C and not X, Y, and Z. That's good. So I just know that when I remove those distractions, they were for me distractions, that the depth of my walk and relationship with God increased. It gave me the ability, like you said, to focus and to hear him more clearly because I was not diluted with the other noise. Now... One of the things that we wanted to talk about today was that we believe that we're in a season of prayer. And I think this is a perfect moment to kind of interject that, because in that time of proximity is the time where you can intercede and be heard, not because, like we discussed earlier, that he can't hear us if we're far away, it's because we can't hear when he talks back if we're not close. And I believe this time of prayer and intercession that we're, or this season that's come upon us, I believe that we're already in the the beginning season. I really believe that this is something that if people take up this mantle and they take up this call to prayer, that it's not going to let up for them. And it's not going to be something that's a burden to them. But instead, it's going to help lead and guide and open up the path that they're supposed to be walking down and make their way clear. But the biggest key for all of us is not to worry about tomorrow. But as we seek and persevere through this day that we're in, that we continue to focus on him in our relationship with him, because as long as our relationship is our focus, he is sure to guide us. It's only when we get stressed out and focused on tomorrow that we get distracted. Wow. Now, how does this tie into the story we talked about earlier this in the call? Preconceived cultural ideas. Because we have this preconceived cultural idea that we can't come to the throne, that we can't talk with him, and that he is not going to talk to us. Who, who am I, this lovely little ant on the hill? But he came and walked and talked with Adam. He desires to walk and talk with us. 
our spiritual dogma is irrelevant in the eyes of God. He did not create Adam and Eve to have a sterile relationship. He created Adam and Eve to have a friendship and to walk and talk and share ideas and fellowship with one another. How much more for us? Brother, I think this is a great time to, we're going to come full circle, right? And it's, that's well said. Everything you just said right there is poignant, man. Very well said. And I, I think, you know, taking it back full circle, what we were talking about earlier as well, was that protocol. And that's it. If, if we don't have a relationship with Christ, then we're out of protocol as far as heaven is concerned. God has a protocol that he's set up. The protocol isn't Buddha. It's not Muhammad. It's not Krishna. It's not any of these other religions. There's no answers in that, and there's no protocol there. You can't approach God with your good works. You can't approach God um, based off of who you know or who you are or how famous you are. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, the great and the small will appear before him. The books will be open. Whoever's name is not in that Lamb's Book of Life simply won't get in. There are no credentials that you can show that will impress God. He's going to judge the secrets of the hearts of men. So the only protocol and the only acceptable way to approach him is through the blood of his son that he's ordained and he set up before the foundation of the world is what, what the Bible says. This is the only way we can approach them. And so we want to extend that invitation to those who are listening. If you're out of protocol and you just don't know him, none of your good intentions will get you to God. The only way is to accept what Christ did for you on your behalf when he died on that cross. You have God himself coming in human flesh, walking among us. He wasn't just doing good things. He was actually very God of very God, and he decided to come, take on our sins, understand our plight, walk in our shoes, walk in our moccasins, so to speak, understand our culture, who we are. And then he took the sin of the world. Everything that we've done that was contrary to what God has said is, is correct. He took it upon himself, died a, a criminal's death on the cross, and he did it for us. The good news is, he also rose again on the third day. And because of that, we have that same hope. So putting our, our faith in Christ is following God's protocol. It's what allows us to enter into that holy of holies. Without fear that we're going to drop dead in his presence. Without fear that he's not going to reject us. We just have to accept what he's done already. Brother, if you want to lead them in a, in a sinner's prayer, that'd be awesome. I'd be happy to. Well, guys, if you would like to pray along with us, just pray after me. Father God, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just ask you to come into my heart. I declare you are king of my life. I confess that you are God, that you died on the cross and were raised to life again on the third day. And I believe that you are the son of the living God. Holy Spirit, I ask you now just to fill me fresh in you with your spirit, Lord God. Give me grace mercy and peace strengthen me and make me new in Jesus name friends if you prayed that prayer you are saved and we encourage you to get 
rooted in and plugged in to a local church that teaches the Word of God. Not a church that just has good stories, but one that teaches the Word of God. Guys, God bless you and thank you for joining us today.